0: Turn in your Bibles or turn into your worship guides. We are going to read Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 10 to the end of the chapter. We've been looking at this short book, this minor prophet, uh, with a major message for us as we see what God would have to teach us through this small but mighty book. Haggai chapter 2. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. Someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil, any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people. With this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hand, what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before the stone was placed upon stone the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight, with mildew, and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since it is the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple is laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth to overthrow the thrones of the kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. Overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horse and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shelteel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Please be seated. In our house, there is a constant battle, and no doubt it's taking place in your house as well. It is a battle of cleanliness, trying to keep our home clean. It's a daily battle and fight. The floors, the table, the sinks, the mirrors, the windows not one area of our home is unaffected. As soon as it gets clean, It seems to get dirty once again, very soon. And there's never a time that you do not need to vacuum and to dust and to mop. In many ways, it's unrelenting and very much exhausting. If Thanksgiving was at your house this week, then you know exactly what I am speaking about as you sought to clean the home before everybody came to your home and house. It demonstrates the all-consuming nature of dirt. That which is clean does not stay clean very long, does it? And the same goes for our health, something our culture is thinking a lot about these days in the midst of this virus. What can we do to prevent the spread from being infected, from curing the infection that is there? Because one who is healthy can become sick, can they not, in this world of germs and viruses and illness. But I wonder, is there a similar thought given to our spiritual well-being like there is with our physical world or our physical health? Because what is true in the natural world is also true in the world of morality. Perhaps you could say it this way, it's the dirtiness of sin. One act of infidelity ruins years of fidelity. One scandal is remembered more than a thousand good deeds. One conviction taints an otherwise spotless record. And so the question must be, what can make us clean? What can clean that which is dirty? What can make us well? Those that are spiritually sick. How can one be made right before God? That is the question that the psalmist asked in Psalm 24 when he asked, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? Who shall be before Him in His holy presence? And he goes on to say, Only he who is clean Those that have a clean hands and a pure heart. That is what Haggai would have us to think about this morning. That is what the Lord would have us to think about through Haggai the prophet. He directs the people's thoughts on that very consuming thought before us this morning. How can we become before God? How can we be in his presence? How can we be acceptable in his sight? How can we be cleansed? How can we be healed? How can we be restored and redeemed? That is what we want to look at this morning, and we see it in two points: the tainted touch of the unclean, but then the pure touch of the spotless one. First, the tainted touch of the unclean, as has been already mentioned in this messages before us the entirety of this short book, this book of Haggai covers just four short months from August to December of the year 520 BC, exactly two and a half millennia ago, 2,500 years ago. This particular message was used in the life of the church, the Old Testament church. And we suspect that The Lord used Haggai much more than just for four months, but that is all that is recorded for us in Holy Scripture. We might say it was a time of revival in the life of Israel, and the Lord used Haggai as his instrument. There was a pastor in the 1800s that the Lord used in a similar way for a particular season of revival in England, and this pastor wrote in his diary, I went to bed as a lamb, and I woke up as a lion. I thought Lord used him and enabled him almost like to be a spiritual lion that was able to roar and have the people understand the presence of God and their need. And then about a year later, he wrote again in his diary. He said, I went to bed as a lion and woke up. As a lamb. As soon as it came, so it left. And the same could be said about Haggai. For four months, he was used by the Lord as a lion for the spiritual awakening of his people. And so we saw in chapter 1 that the message was that they had forsaken the Lord's presence, they had left the Lord's house in ruin. Last week, Pastor Myers showed us that they had forgotten the Lord's power, and had become discouraged as a result. They had looked to the things of this earth. Well, this morning we see that they had also forsaken the needed purity, the purity that was needed to come before the Lord. And so the Lord uses Haggai, and he has Haggai call the priests and ask a few questions about the law. And so Haggai summons the priest and does somewhat of a question and an answer session with him. He asks two questions. The first question in verse 12, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil, any kind of food, does it become holy? The question is that which has been offered up to the Lord has been Made holy as a sacrifice to the Lord. And some of that sacrifice could be used for the priests and for their families to support themselves, as how the Levites were provided for through the offerings. And so the question is that which was holy, in this case the sacrificial meat, Haggai calls it the, the holy meat, does it make everything that it comes in contact with holy? When it's put on the table that night for dinner, does it make the the bread or the stew or the wine or the oil also holy? And the priest rightfully answers, no, it doesn't. And so Haggai asks another question, verse 13. If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And you understand that question, right? Someone that has become ceremonially unclean unclean by touching a dead body which was forbidden in the old testament or if needed or necessary would would make someone not able to come into the temple for a period of time until they could be cleansed so if they came and they were ceremonially unclean would that make their offering unclean would it be unacceptable and again the priest answers correctly and says yes it would become unclean Why is the Lord having Haggai ask these questions? Does he want to discuss the finer minutiae of ceremonial law? No, not at all. Rather, he's making a much bigger point, isn't he? The point is this. Holiness does not come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. Or I could say it another way. That which is unrighteous we're unrighteous on the inside, it's going to make everything on the outside unrighteous. It's going to taint everything. Or perhaps maybe you can say it as Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 15, when he says to his disciples, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man, for out of the heart proceeds evil. Do you hear what Jesus is saying, what Haggai is saying? It's not what comes from the outside in that makes you unclean. It's what comes from the inside out that makes you unclean. It's the heart that's the problem. It's the heart that needs cleansing, that needs reform, that needs restoration. Let me try to explain it this way because we don't think in these terms of clean and unclean like they did in the Old Testament and in Jesus' day. So let me take the coronavirus, for example. Perhaps you've heard of it. If someone gets the virus and becomes sick, what is more likely to happen if you come in contact with them? Is it more likely for you to become infected or for you to make them well by your presence? Well, it's for you to become infected, isn't it? Infection is transmittable, but wellness or health is not. My health cannot take your sickness away, but your sickness can take my health away. And so the person that has. This virus, in a sense, contaminates everything, right? That's why they have to be quarantined. Because everything that they touch, all of a sudden, in a sense, becomes unclean. And that perhaps helps you to understand what is taking place here. What this exchange between Haggai and the priest is talking about. And it also helps us to explain what we are spiritually. That spiritually, we are sick. Spiritually, we are unclean. In fact, a few weeks ago, my parents got the virus, and thankfully, they are well. They had a very mild case, but I called up my dad in the midst of his quarantine, and I said, jokingly, of course, is it okay to talk to you uh, on the phone, or will I get infected? can the infection travel through the phone? And all I heard from the other side of the the line from my dad was "unclean, unclean," which you know the Old Testament is what the lepers, those that had leprosy, would have to say so that they wouldn't infect others. And so my dad said, "unclean, unclean." That's what you get when you have two pastors talking together. You get pastor humor, which is. Funny to absolutely no one else except them. But unclean, unclean, that is, in a sense, how we need to understand ourselves. That is what Haggai is trying to say. In fact, he says it very plainly in verse 14 So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so, with every work of their hand, what they offer there is unclean. They are unclean. And everything that comes from them is unclean, including their offerings. And so the question must be, how is it that we are made clean? How is it that we are made pure? We may not think about it in those terms specifically. Yet that problem is very much known, isn't it? Do you not know? Do you not understand? Do you not feel the weight and the burden of your sin? Do you not... Struggle with the guilt. Do you understand what Paul says when he says in Romans chapter 7, when he says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Do you read that and go, oh, come on, Paul. Don't be so exaggerated. You're not wretched. No, Paul says, I'm wretched, and I need to be saved from this body of death. John Newton says the same thing in that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace. It's amazing grace saves such a wretch as me. Can you read that, and do you understand the weight of that? Do you understand your own wretchedness? And you say, oh, I need to be saved from that how is it that I can be made right with God, the most important relationship that I can have? That's what Luther struggled with, right? It's what he agonized over. How can I be made right with God? For Christ to be our Savior, we need to know what we are being saved from. We need to have that desire for that salvation, that need within us. And you don't understand that need if you don't understand your sickness. If you don't understand your uncleanliness. And we're not going to be made clean. We're not going to be made well just by being around that which is holy. It's not just being in the presence of that which is holy or clean or pure or good that's going to make us good. Again, holiness, cleanliness, Is not externally communicable. It's not transmissible, just like our health is not. And so that means that mere formalities are not going to work. Going through the motions is not going to cut it. Religion is not going to do, is it? And that's what Haggai is saying here, isn't he? That bringing the needed sacrifice merely out of an outward conformity or a requirement is not going to cut it. Nor is building the temple, even though they're commanded to do so by God, building the temple is not just going to instantly make the whole nation right before God. Because God, this is the point, God is never content, never content with just outward conformity or outward formality. For doing the right thing just for the right thing's sake. And that's not just true then, is it? It's true now. The fact that you sit next to someone who is holy, does that make you holy? Just because you're married to somebody holy or grow up in a holy family, does that make you holy? Coming here, coming into. This present singing these hymns, reading the Bible, going to Bible study, coming to church every time the doors are open. Does that make you holy? Does the mere contact with that which is holy make you holy? Of course not. Children can say it this way. Going to Chick-fil-A make you a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Or going to the zoo. My family and I went to the zoo yesterday. Going to the zoo, does that make you a monkey? Or one of the other animals? Of course not. In the same way, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, does it? It must come from the inside. You must need that desire to be saved. And look to the only one that can save you, which is God himself. And so we are not freed from this outward-oriented holiness. We can't just say, well, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Reformed, I worship the right way. I would say to you, what of it? Not that those things aren't important, but none of those things make you right before God by themselves, do they? No, they don't. We cannot look to anything external. Anything of this earth. Because none of these things can save us. None of these things, these earthly things can save us. And that is what the Lord says to the people of Israel. He says in verse 16, how did you fare when you were doing things on your own? When you're trying to provide for yourself, he says you weren't doing very well at all, were you? You would go to to measure the the heap of grain and you'd think there would be this much and there would only be this little. And he tells them why. It's because he says, I struck these things. I had blight and mildew so that they would wither away in a sense. The Lord is saying, I had these things to to dwindle down to almost nothing, to demonstrate that they are lousy saviors, lousy comforts, lousy securities, that you can't put your hope in them. And yet, how often? Do you and I look to the things of this earth to to be our security, to be our comforts, to be ultimately our our Savior? And yet, the Lord would ask us, how do you fare? How is that working out for you? During the presidential debates, one of the moderators asked one of the candidates, I think he asked both of them, what will you do to stop the virus? And I would have loved for either one of the candidates to say, stop the virus. I can't stop the virus. I'm not God. But obviously neither one did. And it's because we treat politicians like they are gods. Like they have ultimate power. That they have all of the solutions in their hands. And they don't, do they? And I have a similar fear. That we would be looking to this vaccine like it's a a new savior. Yay, the vaccine is here. Now we are saved. I'm not saying it won't help. It probably will. But I just wonder, have we as a nation ever looked heavenward? Have we ever looked beyond this earth? Have we ever looked to the Lord? and cried out for his mercy, cried out for his help. One of the commentators wrote this, and this was pre-COVID. It says, trials and chaos, whether on a personal scale or a national scale, do not necessarily cause people to consider their ways. Even if they do re-examine their lives in the midst of a crisis, running to the Lord and truly repenting of sins is not the most popular response to experiencing the effects of brokenness. People may want a solution for their pain, but they are not necessarily eager for a solution to their sin problem that underlies it. You hear what he says there. People want a solution to their pain, but they don't necessarily want a solution to their sin problem. And that's really the greatest problem, isn't it? That it's not a problem. Ultimately, America's biggest problem is not the coronavirus. It's the sin problem. It always is and has been. What good is it to be, to be saved from the coronavirus, but not from your sinful, hellish, hell-worthy condition? Because if this virus doesn't get you, something else will, and you still will need to stand before your maker. And are you ready to do that? I tell you this morning, you're not. If you don't understand this being cleansed, being purified, being made holy, and it's my prayer that this nation and especially everyone here that's hearing this would have this virus to be a a wake-up call. We have a much, much greater and bigger problem. One that earth nor man can solve. Who can... Save me from this body of death. We can't look inward. We can't look outward. And so we must, we must look upward. And that's exactly what we see in this passage, is that we see the pure touch of the spotless one as he goes on. We see that as they begin to do the work that the Lord tells them to do as they repent from being more concerned about themselves and about their works and the things of this earth and they begin to do the lord's work as this revival begins to take place it doesn't seem like any of their outward circumstances are beginning to change in fact you see that don't you in verse 19 when Haggai says is the seed yet in the barn Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. Perhaps the people are saying, look, we're, we're doing the work of the Lord, but we don't really see anything that's coming from it. Is this really worth it? Again, how often do we think the same way? That if I do the right things externally, if I go to church, if I read my Bible, then the Lord will bless me. And bless me usually means health and wealth and everything will be right in my world. And that may be true and it may not be. But again, our greatest need is not external, is it? It's internal. How to be made clean, how to be made right before God, how to be able to say it is well with my soul. And that question really Begins to expose, why is it that we are pursuing after God? Are we pursuing after him to be our savior? Or are we pursuing after him just for him to be our genie in the bottle, to give us our wishes, our desires? Well, the Lord says, continue to do what you need to do. Continue the work of the Lord and I will bless you. Then he goes on to say what that blessing is. And we see that in this very last section of Haggai. We see that the word of the Lord comes a second time on the same day. And it's a specific word to Zerubbabel. It says in verse 23 that you are going to be my chosen signet ring. You remember that the signet ring on the king would convey all of the power of that kingdom it would be in a sense the king's signature if you would put his seal of approval on something you would know that it comes from the king it demonstrates his authority and he says to Zerubbabel the governor of Israel you could say he was a minor king during that time the leader of the people that you are going to be my signet ring Zerubbabel You're going to convey all the power of my kingdom. And I'm going to do mighty things through you. You see some of those mighty things in verse 21 and 22. I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm about to overthrow the thrones of the kingdom. To destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nation. Overthrow the chariots and the sword. No doubt Zerubbabel, when hearing this, was saying, Who, me? I'm a nobody i'm a nobody over a nobody people in a nowhere desert and i'm going to shake the heavens and the earth i'm going to overthrow the the nations and the armies and the chariots and the sword how is that possible well i'll tell you how it's possible Flip with me just a couple pages over if you have your Bibles. It's just 20 pages in my Bible to Matthew chapter 1. There we read at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1 this section that we so often skim over. This genealogy. We read this, verse 12, And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconian was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abidud, And you keep on going to the end of 15. And Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. You see, Zerubbabel is in the line of Christ. And do you not see then how this is always going to take place? how this fulfillment is going to be brought through Zerubbabel. That it's ultimately going to be brought because through his descendants is going to come Christ. Perhaps this morning you came and you opened up your bulletin and you said, Haggai, doesn't the pastor know that this is the first Sunday of Advent? Hasn't he looked around and seen the Christmas decorations? Where's my Christmas-themed sermon? This has everything to do with Christmas. As every sermon ultimately does because it points to Christ. He's saying, rubbable, I'm going to do great and mighty things through you because through you is going to come my son. And so as Zacharias says, who is a contemporary Haggai, do not despise the day of small beginnings because from you there will be a small baby born who's going to be weak and frail and Fragile and born in a filthy stable to poor peasant parents. And he's going to live in relative obscurity and he's going to die a criminal's death. And yet the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no This child is going to overthrow the nations. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth. And I'm going to do it through you, Zerubbabel, through your line. And I'm going to do even a greater work than that. Why? Because what this earth couldn't provide, what we couldn't provide, God provided by sending his son born of a woman, born under the law so that we would be saved from the law, that we would be saved from our impurity. We cannot make ourselves pure. Religion cannot make us good. We cannot make ourselves pure, but God through His Son can and does make us pure this morning. He makes us right with God. And so my proud declaration to you this morning through the good news of the Gospel is that Jesus Christ has come and is now here. And He's still doing the same work that He came to do all those years ago. To make us pure. To make us clean. To make us right before God. He has come to save us. And to cleanse us. But remember what he says. Jesus says, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Brother or sister, if you've come this morning looking to be amongst the healthy, then you've come to the wrong place. This is a place of sinners. This is a place for those that are sick, that are in need of healing. And it's those that have found that healing in the Lord Jesus Christ and through Him alone. He is the Savior of our souls. He is the balm to all of our woes. His name is Jesus. Do you know Him? Have you met Him? Let me ask you this morning, is that why you are here? Because I tell you, that's what all of this is about. Do not get caught up in the building. Do not get caught up in the decorations. Do not even get caught up in the liturgy. Some of you, this might be new, this liturgy and some of these hymns and this pastor wearing this funny robe and these sermons that may be very different than what you have had before in the past. Let me tell you, all of it is for one point. It's all of it so that you would know Christ. And come to know Him in a saving way. And if you miss that, then you're missing the whole point of all of this. Aren't you? This liturgy, these hymns, this sermon, this passage, this pulpit can point the way. But it itself cannot save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. He's the Savior of the world. So come to Him. As you come to this place, you're coming to Christ. I hope you come every Sunday morning asking to meet Christ. Show me the Savior, you're saying. Let me worship Him. Let me see Him face to face. Let me know Him greater so that I may love Him and adore Him and worship Him. At the very beginning, I said to you that the unclean taints the clean, but the clean cannot make the unclean clean again. And that is true in the Earthly sense it is, but there is one that came from above, Benny. There is one that came and touched the leper and yet did not become leprous. Who touched the woman bleeding but did not become impure. Who touched the, the body of someone who was dead and made them alive again. And the Lord Jesus Christ alone can make the unclean clean again can make the impure pure again, can make the dead alive again. Has he done it for you, my friend? Have you been touched by the Savior? Have you been healed? Have you been restored? Have you been redeemed? comes only by the spotless one, the spotless Lamb of God. He is making clean and acceptable that which was dirty and vile, and that makes all of the difference. May we be brought again and again, by His grace, to this fount, the fount of healing, the fount of blessing. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we come to You this morning again, and we desire to be like the Greeks that said, show me Jesus. Let me know Him. Let me love Him. Let me worship Him again. Let me understand the cleansing that can come only through Him because I am unclean. I am impure. But He is pure. And He can cleanse and make even the most vile, white as snow. And so may we come for that cleansing this morning once again. May we receive the full forgiveness of our sins. May we know that in Jesus Christ, we are made right and acceptable in your sight. And Lord, may that make all the difference this day and indeed for all eternity. Lord, we pray this all in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name.